is here. And again, he's here to help us. Not to hassle us. Thank God for the progress that we've achieved corporately and individually in these special times together under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And he's here this evening one more time to coach us kindly and gently from his book. Let's pray and ask for his guidance. Father, we claim your promise. Your word has taught us if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given. We here this evening immediately admit we lack wisdom. We need your coaching. We need your guidance. We need the assistance of your Holy Spirit day by day. Those students here in preparation for ministry and those staff and faculty who are deeply involved in the ministry you've given them. We need wisdom, Lord, for the future. You know the kind of world we're living in. You know the dark clouds that have gathered over our horizons globally and nationally. How do you want us to fit in and make a difference to your honor and glory and for the blessing of others? Please use this concluding service of opening convention as another step forward that we might truly experience the joy of servant ministries where you place us in your body. Help me one more time with your spirit's anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for the honor of being with you again. Uh, this is one of my favorite places. I just want you to all know I am 100% all for what you're all about and what you're doing. And will lend my bit of uh, muscle and influence wherever I have a chance to uh, advance the great cause. I appreciate uh, what I see here. And congratulations to you faculty and staff and students for your focused attention on uh, God's call in your lives. And making an eternally consequential difference in this hurting world. Bill was born in 1910. He was the son of an alcoholic father. Bill's mom would actually lie for her husband when he was too drunk to get up and go to work. Bill grew up in what authors would describe these days as a dysfunctional family. Are you all familiar with that term? Anybody know who thought that word up? You don't? Neither do I. I remember when maladjusted was in style. Anybody remember that term? Please raise your hand. In case you hadn't heard maladjusted's out of style. Dysfunctional's in style now. You know, when I was a kid growing up, we didn't know those fancy words. We were just messed up big time. But Bill grew up in what an author would call today a dysfunctional family. One of six children. About age 18, he left home and got married. And in the first year or two of that marriage, he and his wife had a baby boy. But before that boy was even three years old, Bill's wife died. Bill married a second time. And in the first year or so of that second marriage, Bill and his second wife had a baby boy. 
But would you believe it? Before that second baby boy was even one year old, Bill's second wife died. That left him less than 30 years of age with two baby boys. Then Bill met Edith. She was born in 1922. She was 12 years younger than Bill. She had her own history of scars and abuse and wounds and victimizations. He was her mom and dad's firstborn. But in her early childhood, her mom and dad split up and had a divorce. Pretty soon the depression hit. Times were hard, jobs were scarce, money was rare. Although she really didn't want to do it, it seemed like the best option available to Edith's mom was to put the little girl in the orphanage. So Edith spent early childhood through early adolescence bouncing back and forth between the home of the orphanage and the home of an abusive aunt in nearby town. Later, Edith's mom remarried. She had children from her second husband. And by the time Edith was graduating from senior high school, she was reintroduced back into her mom's household. Although she was the oldest, she was an outsider and she was unwanted. And she was subjected to verbal abuse and physical abuse and emotional abuse and the sexual abuse from her stepdad. Bill and Edith got acquainted. And as far as Edith could tell, Bill, with his two baby boys, was a whole lot better deal than the abusive context of her mom's household. So Bill and Edith got married. And they did the only thing they knew how to do. They continued to live in a vulgar, violent, mean, raw, abusive, dysfunctional family. I am Bill Anita's third child. I grew up in a home where there's verbal abuse and physical abuse and emotional abuse and sexual abuse. How do you handle the negative effects of chronic abuse? It's result in toxic shame. Authors these days are explaining that Chronic abuse solidifies internally in our emotions and forms what they've termed toxic shame. What in the world is that? Oh, that's differentiated from healthy shame. Aren't you impressed? What's healthy shame? God planted conscience down and your heart turns on when you do something bad or wrong. Healthy shame was functioning quite well when as a schoolboy I stole a candy bar from the corner drugstore. The God planted conscience down in my heart turned on. Healthy shame said, Norman, what you did was bad and wrong. Thank God for a conscience. Healthy shame. As crazy as this world is, just think what it would be like if God hadn't given us all a conscience to thwart and retard our wrong behavior. While healthy shame says what you did was bad and wrong, on the other hand, toxic shame says you are bad and wrong. It left me with a miserably low self-esteem. How do you handle the negative effects of chronic abuse and its resultant toxic shame? 
It manifests itself later on in self-sabotaging, defeating sinful, wounding behaviors. You ever known an alcoholic? Drinking one after the other all day long? What are they saying with that behavior? Delicious? It's my life's ambition to set a new record in my state for drunk driving charges? I don't think so. I think they're saying I'm miserable and I'm frustrated. But I found this stuff to temporarily take my mind off of how bad I hurt. You ever known a chain smoker? Lighting one after the other all day long? What are they saying? Better than ice cream? I doubt it. I think they're saying I am miserable and I'm frustrated. But I found this little adult pacifier to temporarily nurse me into distraction. Take my mind off of how bad I hurt. You ever known a drug addict? Doing heroin or cocaine or crack, marijuana, the pills, whatever. They're saying the same thing in a different way. I am miserable and I'm frustrated, but I found this stuff to temporarily take my mind off of how bad I hurt. Here's another one a little less severe. You ever heard of food addiction? <laughs> I don't mind disclosing to you. Sometimes when I get back to my room after the evening service, away from my wife and daughter, granddaughters, son-in-law, about 10 o'clock at night, overcome with loneliness, I'm overwhelmed with an enormous urge to eat everything chocolate in the whole town. <laughs> A couple of towns have almost succeeded. <laughs> Did you ever catch yourself looking in the refrigerator 10 minutes after dinner? And you caught yourself and said, what in the world am I doing here? A little less severe than the other abuses and manifestations. Here's another one. You ever heard of shopaholism? You know, there's some folks who can't get through the day without going to the mall. They're hooked on their plastic charge cards. Sometimes, I know, not always, but sometimes the internal motivation is, I don't know what I'm looking for, but it might be on sale. <laughs> And down inside, I feel like a double zero, and it might give me just a little bit of a boost. Here's another one. You ever known a workaholic? You know the bad thing about that malady? Current society congratulates such unhealthy behavior. Did you ever heard anybody describe, boy, he is a hard worker? Okay, wonderful. But in how many instances are there dads and husbands neglecting wife and kids, burning the candle at both ends, thinking erroneously, if I really hit it hard and make it to the top and hit the big time, then someday I might be good enough to get the pat on the head or the tweak on the cheek, or I'm proud of you that will never be there from the critical, perfectionistic, on-your-case, in-your-face authority figure whose affection has been so chronically craved and so eternally absent. Here's another one. How many men in America right now are privately and secretly hooked on pornography and its accompanying sexual compulsive and addictive behaviors? How do you handle the negative effects of chronic abuse? It's resulted in toxic shame and the multiple manifestations of self-sabotaging, sinful, defeating, wounding behaviors. Three statements to remember. Three scriptures to review. Face it. 
That means quit living in denial. Whatever happened, happened. Forgive it. Realize that's a process and not a quick fix. And forge ahead. That means change lanes and go around the wreck of the past and step on the gas and go pedal of the metal and get on down the road and watch the mess of the yesterday shrink in your rearview mirror and become a wounded healer and a blessing to others. First scriptures in Romans chapter 8 at verse 26. At Romans 8 and the 26th verse, Paul writes, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined he also called, those he called he also justified, those he justified he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Could you all stand some good news tonight? On the authority of God's inspired word. He is for you. Amen. He's not some mean, irritable, critical grouch, impossible to please. He's the one who said, I will never leave you or forsake Amen. you. He's the one who said, come to me. All you who are weary and labor and are heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. Amen. There in a rare moment, Jesus describes himself. I, King James says, am meek and lowly. And IV says, gentle and humble. As I studied that, I noticed he didn't say, I am harsh and critical. If you think God is harsh and critical... You have a mistaken concept of who God is. Jesus, God incarnate in human flesh, described himself. I am gentle and humble. God is for you. How do you handle the negative effects of chronic abuse? Face it, quit living in denial. But realize, according to God's word, you don't have to face it alone. God is for you. 8.26 of Romans says, The Spirit helps in our weakness. We don't even know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words, with groans that words cannot express. The term intercede means petition the Father on your behalf like an attorney goes before the judge on the behalf of the defendant. The Holy Spirit goes before the Father and petitions your cause and case before the Father in accordance with his will. Later in Romans 8, it says, Jesus Christ, God's Son, is seated at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing there? He's also interceding for you. Please get the picture. The Holy Spirit resident in your heart petitions the Father on your behalf in accordance with his will.
Jesus at the right hand of the Father also intercedes for you. And 828 says, and God himself takes initiative on your behalf and focuses and influence and brings to bear an influence that causes all things to work together for good. Two qualifying conditions for that promise to be valid for those who love him and for those who call according to his purpose. Don't be saying you love God if you're not walking in obedience to his will. What's called according to his purpose mean? Absolute flawless perfection? No way. It means cooperatively fitting into his plan for your life at the present time to the best of your ability. If you can check, yes, I love God. I'm illustrating that by my obedience. Yes, I'm called according to his purpose. I'm cooperatively fitting into his plan at my in my life at the present time to the best of my ability, then you know that promise is timely and applicable and relevant and valid for you. And you can trust that God is now exercising energy, spending effort, focused on your behalf, resulting in all things coming together for good. So, how do you handle the negative effects of chronic abuse? Face it, quit living in denial. Whatever happened, happened. Whatever's there is there and whatever went down, went down. You can't rewind the tape and make it play back anything else. But on the authority of God's word, you don't have to face it alone. Amen. God is for you. Amen. And specifically, I want to address the students here now. When you arrived in Colorado Springs, besides your suitcase, you may have drugged some other luggage with you, as I did with me as a young adult. Some good news. You're not stuck where you've been. You've got some options. Face it. Quit living in denial. And perhaps one of the most healthy prayers that somebody could pray here tonight before you leave is to pause and bow and say, God, i got to tell you, I'm really mad about what he did, about what she did, how I was wounded, how I was stepped on, how I was victimized by that perpetrator. you got to face it. And quit living in denial. But once you face it, you can't park there. You got to forgive it. And again, Paul helps us. Ephesians at chapter 4. Want to take a look? At verse 31. Ephesians 4 31, Paul says, Get rid of all bitterness. Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. He tells us how we are to forgive. In verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How? Just as in Christ God forgave you. Look it up. You know what it means? In the same quantitative and qualitative way that God rolled off your transgressions through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary, in the same quantitative and qualitative way, you and I are to write off the transgressions of those perpetrated against us. And if you made a list of your sins against God and other folks' sins against you, one of which list would be longer? How do you handle the negative effects of chronic abuse and the resultant toxic shame? Face it, quit living in denial, whatever happened, happened. But realize that you don't have to face it alone. God is for you. And then forgive it. And realize that's a process, not a quick fix. 
Well, we have a problem when it comes to this issue of forgiveness. We live in a very impulsive and impatient age. We like fast food from a drive-up window. We like instant cash out of a bank's teller machine. We like microwave popcorn. And even in church we're preconditioned. 20 seconds at the altar and everything's fixed. Two Kleenex and we all live happily ever after. <laughs> this stuff didn't accumulate overnight. And it doesn't dissipate overnight. Once you face it, you've got to forgive it. It's not a five-second microwave oven, quick zap kind of a deal. It's a slow simmer all day long crock pot kind of deal. But you've got to turn it on and get it cooking sooner or later. I would politely debate anybody who would insist that forgiveness is instantaneous, especially on these heavy issues. I mean, do you got any idea how I felt? I remember as a schoolboy, I was born in Denver, but from age 2 through 18 lived in Pueblo, just 45 miles south. A vulgar, violent, abusive, dysfunctional family. But I was invited to ride a Sunday school bus when I was 11. They hooked me with summer softball, promised, promised I could play first base, my favorite position. They were hurting for players. <laughs> On a hot August Sunday night, during the second verse of Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is calling. I stepped to the aisle and walked down and knelt at the altar. In that summer of 59, that 11-year-old boy, save your brain, I'm 58. Summer of 59, I was saved and sanctified and called to preach. And since then, I set my face toward full-time Christian ministry. But some issues that needed to be forgiven. Is there somebody in your yesterdays or perhaps your current day you need to forgive? Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. As you students are preparing for full-time Christian service in whatever specific ministry God has called you to, you need to get rid of the old baggage. Face it. Quit living in denial. And forgive it. And realize that's a process, not a quick fix. But once you face it and get forgiveness in process, we're not finished. We need to forge ahead. Take a proactive posture and attitude. And again, Paul helps us this time from Philippians. Chapter 3 and verse 12. Philippians 3, 12 verse. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The good news I have for you, friends, this evening is you're not stuck where you've been. You've got an option. You can face it, and you can forgive it, and you can forge ahead. Amen. Yes. 
kind of think it's like pulling the plug in the bathtub. Do you ever watch the water leave the tub when you pull out the plug? You have. My, you have an exciting life. <laughs> no, you pull the plug and the water swirls. It circles. It gurgles. But an inch at a time, that dirty old bath water subsides. Maybe tonight would be a good time for somebody to pull a plug. We press on towards the goal. Change lanes. Go around the wreck of the past. You're not stuck back there at that fender bender intersection of your yesterdays. You've got an option. Change lanes and go around the wreck of the past. Step on the gas, go pedal the metal, and get on down the road. And as you travel ahead and watch the mess of the yesterday shrink in your rearview mirror, a wonderful thing happens. The Holy Spirit creates in you a sensitive ear. A sense of smell, a keen eye, and a tender heart. And he'll network you with other folks who are hurting for certain. And you'll catch yourself by surprise, engaged in an unanticipated conversation, saying, hey, I think I know where you're coming from. I've been in a similar situation. Let me share with you how the Lord helped me and brought victory to my life. And you'll become a wounded healer. Amen. And God will use you to become the tow truck to pull somebody else out of the ditch. As you prepare for ministry and anticipate entering into the full-time work that God has called you to, we need to enter that work healthy and strong, facing it and forgiving it and forging ahead. I mean, imagine a guy was a half million dollars in delinquent debt, and he went to church and heard God's word preached and went to the altar and was saved and sanctified in the biblical sense of those terms. When he leaves church, he'd be a saved and sanctified man who's a half million dollars in delinquent debt. He's still got a problem. <laughs> and if a bus kid such as myself from an unchurched home who'd been run over by a truck emotionally. Got on an old yellow Sunday school bus and was hauled to church. Heard God's word preached, went to the altar and was saved and sanctified. When he'd get on that old yellow bus and head home, he'd be a saved and sanctified boy who'd been run over by a truck emotionally. Can I testify for a second? The Lord has escorted me all the way from an initial location of white-hot anger to a current posture of no hard feelings. It's history. It's over. It's forgiven. They did the best they could for who they were and what they knew and where they were coming from. I gotta ask you something. Is there somebody in your yesterdays you need to forgive? I put my whole experience in a poem. Well, I have a copy in the foyer for you after service if you want one. I title it, Face It, Forgive It, and Forge Ahead. Simply because I couldn't think of any other title. <laughs> For some of us in our past, there's pain and much abuse. 
The hurt is great and scars are deep and we wonder what's the use. As anger boils down deep inside from suffering in our past, sometimes we react in harmful ways, needing victory that will last. We read and pray and seek advice, trying hard to cope. How do we handle our abusive past? Is there any hope? Face it, forgive it, and forge ahead, his spirit comes to say. We can recover from old hurts and enter a brand new day. To face the hurt and forgive the wrongs is not an easy task. But only then can we forge ahead to real victory that will last. The glad news I declare to you, dear sweet friends, is you're not stuck where you've been. You've got an option. You can face it. And you can forgive it. And you can forge ahead. Amen. And as you do, you become a wounded healer who's networked by the Holy Spirit with other hurting folks in this needy world. And you'll pull them out of the ditch. And through it all, you'll discover the joy of a servant ministry and make an impact in this world for Christ and for souls, for time and for eternity. There may be something you and the Lord need to talk over before you leave. This altar is available. Please stand and bow your heads. Before we share our course of invitation, would you take a silent moment and look way down deep into your heart? and discern the private whisperings of the Holy Spirit. Sense His presence. Be transparent before Him. And relax enough to take an honest long look at unresolved issues from your yesterdays and realize they need to be addressed and processed for you to have the maximum potential impact in the ministry where you'll be serving. While we share a course of invitation, I'd like to kindly and respectfully invite those who need to and who want to to step to the aisle and come forward and kneel here for closing prayer time.